0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Joining me now on the Danny Parkins show. Welcome back in. at CBS Sports Radio, Sirius 206 of the Radio.com app. Excited to talk to this guy. I've heard him on the NFL channel over at Sirius, former tackle for the Oilers and Titans, former Pro Bowler, played in a Super Bowl, Brad Hopkins with us on the show. Brad, thanks so much for the time tonight. How you doing? Danny, it's good to be on with you. What was the biggest thing that stood out to you in week four so far?
1: The number of home teams that lost. Um, usually that's an advantage that a lot of guys have, but when you're not playing well at home, it, that can actually be more difficult than being on the road, Danny. You know, when you hear, like in the case of the Falcons titans game, uh, the home crowd booing you at half, I mean, that's pressure. That's pressure because you're not meeting expectations, especially when you look at the talent on that roster, so... Not living up to expectation, having a fan base boo you, that's got to be difficult to deal with. But that's one of the things that struck me the most was the fact that there really wasn't the idea of home field advantage for a lot of squads.
0: You know, that's really interesting. I host afternoons in Chicago and after the opener of the season, uh, Bears and Packers, we had Eddie Jackson on. their all pro safety the next day. And he got on Bears fans for booing them in the opener of the season and he called it unacceptable. And we were like, well, you know, play better. And mm. he was saying, but it's just, it doesn't help, you know, Mitch Trubisky's human and it, it's counterproductive. So I, I understood the point he was making. Do you think that you see that in terms of ten, the guys tense up and the, the play actually gets worse as a result of how the fans act?
1: Absolutely. I mean, think of what we draw into from fans is the energy, you know, when they're cheering you, they're supporting you. That's, you know, that's the one thing that elevates a squad to greatness. Um, when they're rooting against you, when you see people like you know anxiously looking at you to to, to fix things, you know that's pressure that mounts. You know um, those that have the unbelievable amount of confidence just kind of departmentalize those things and mark, chalk it up as white noise, don't really pay that much attention to it. But a lot of us, we absorb that stuff, we feel it. You know, so you know the adoration and the love of the fans is something that drives a lot of players and has a lot of teams to success. And when it's when it's something that you have to deal with, man, it's just, it's just something that you don't want to deal with because you've got another team to worry about, let alone not living up to
0: expectations. You mentioned you heard it in Atlanta today. They're probably the team through four weeks that I've been the most wrong on. I thought that they were a legitimate Super Bowl contender this year. What do you think's wrong with the Falcons?
1: So that's a great question. Um, I just don't think that people feel the same defensive identity that this team once had when Dan Quinn first got there. You know, there was a level of excitement um, that Falcons fans had knowing that the, that the identity of toughness was supposed to be permeating through this team, much like the defenses that Dan Quinn coached in Seattle. Well, we get to see that happen consistently anyway. You know, they do have the ability to run the football. Obviously, have one of the mo- more reta- talented receiving cores in the NFL. But when you can't play on that side of the football and get off the field on third down, you know, get good stops, get turnovers, Fly around, you know, wreak havoc, you know, give quarterbacks time, and they'll beat you. So essentially, we're just not saying I'm not blaming it all on the defense. Because I do think that there's an inability also to be able to run the football effectively and consistently. You know, that allows you to convert third down, stay on the football field, lean on the defense. And when you're not able to do those basic you know, fundamentals, like run the football and play style defense, you're in a world of hurt, man.
0: We're talking to Brad Hopkins, former tackle for the Oilers and Titans. You hear him over at Sirius NFL Radio. You talk about the fundamentals of running the football. It feels like it's harder for teams to, you know, ice out wins, go into that four-minute offense and grind out the clock. What do you attribute the, if I could generalize here, because clearly the Browns didn't have a problem with it, but like if I could generalize the, the struggle with running the football in today's NFL?
1: Well, first off, running the football involves all 10. I say 10 because usually quarterbacks don't have anything to do other than handing the football off. But receivers need to block. Tight ends need to block. You know, um, of course, all the big bodies up front need to block, more so than anybody else. It does start, and I'm not trying to sound narcissistic because I'm a former offensive lineman. It starts with the big bodies up front. And and that actually is predicated by the time that these guys have together, Danny. You know what I mean? Creating that... that, that, that That cohesion that we keep talking about, the chemistry, the energy that that a unit that's played for a long time together can can put on the football field. That's confidence. When you know that you've got five bodyguards up front that are making caverns up front, that are protecting the quarterback and giving him time to throw the football, that's when you're really in control, winning the line of scrimmage. And and if it's not happening, well, you definitely feel the effects.
0: What's a team that you enjoy watching run the football in terms of their commitment to that style of play?
1: Hmm. Well, you know, we've seen... It sounds like low hanging fruit, but Derrick Henry is one of those backs that I was used to block before. You know what I mean? I like guys with two names. Derrick Henry... Eddie
0: Eddie George.
1: George. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of fits, you know? Yeah. Um, But I also, you know, love guys like Galvin Cook. You know, I love... Um, even you know, one of my favorite guys right now is um, is um, uh Philip Lindsay from the from the Broncos. I mean he's he is small in stature, but this guy's got a tremendous heart and he runs tough. So even though the Broncos might not be known for their run game, I love the combo of Royce and and uh Philip Lindsay to really give give at least Joe Flacco some options. Now they have it in the bag today. You know, they have it down the Jets down by twenty points and that was without one of their best defensive players on the sideline nursing a <clears throat> back injury. But for the most part, you know, we saw that team show some balance and show some playmaking ability. Emmanuel Sanders had a tremendous afternoon. Joe Flacco showed poison in the pocket like a veteran would. Um, but I do like watching the Broncos run the football. We saw Vaughn Miller get on the, the sack board for the first time this year. So even though they didn't necessarily win the game and it sucks to lose a mile high in your own turf, you know, I thought that they put on an admirable performance that, you know, that at least to garner some respect in the
0: league. We're talking to Brad Hopkins, former tackle in the NFL. He works over at Sirius NFL Radio, does a great job. One of the things I'm talking about on the show tonight is I think there's been a changing of the guard in terms of best defensive player in the NFL. Aaron Donald's amazing, and I think it's been him for the last few years. The ability to generate pressure from an interior defensive lineman is unprecedented. But I'm here in Chicago. It it honestly seems like Khalil Mack is playing perfect defensive football. Who do you think is the best defensive player in the league?
1: Well, and Dominican scored a touchdown today, so did you forget about him? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, he's Absolutely. he's good, but you know, I, I think yeah. he's
0: probably might be a little past.
1: I know. Well Devon Clowney also got a pick six of uh, Kyler Murray today, which is pretty exceptional. Uh um, yeah. but but I like I like I can't deny your your you know Khalil Mack, but he's been what, defensive player of the year before, so to me that's long in for. The guy just flat out gets it done. You know, it obviously makes you even question the franchise's decisions when you deal away good players like that. But, you know, I'm also looking at guys like Miles Garrett. You know, I'm looking at guys that can't be blocked one-on-one, that basically make offensive coordinators have to scheme for your presence on the football field. And Khalil Mack is definitely one of those guys. Difference maker on that defense, um, complete package, basically. can rush the passer, can cover, can do a lot of different things. So, you know, there are a lot of good performances that we saw today, too. Khalil Mack's one of them. I'll give you that.
0: What is, uh, what was the toughest, the, the tougher style for you to block? Like, were you, you know, a guy like Khalil Mack who will bull rush you, a guy like Von Miller who can dip and, and go around? What, what's the toughest assignment for a tackle? Mm.
1: The, the reason why that's a good question is because I played the game with speed as my advantage. You know, I was a smaller tackle, an athletic tackle, which meant that I could probably shadow a lot of the moves defensive linemen were going to do, you know, could match their speed as well. But those guys that were tended to be shorter than me that could dip, turn the corner fast, or do spin moves like Dwight Freeney without any sort of hesitation, those guys are harder to block. Now, these athletes that they're putting on the edges now, you just mentioned, you know, Khalil Vaughn, you know, those, those seriously, the Bosa boys. You know, those edge rushers that can collapse pockets from the outside, you know, that's, you know, those are difference-making casts. But for me, if you can get your hands on them early and slow down that momentum, you know, that's one thing that helps. But you've got to be a fast guy to be able to get out of your stance, get up to where they are, and, you know, basically settle down and get yourself in a position where you can take on their next move. And not a lot of tackles can do that. So, in my opinion, if you can get to a guy fast enough before he, A, builds up speed or builds up enough inertia to knock your head off, you know what I'm saying? those are the advantages that a smart pass tackle would use.
0: Another offensive line question for you. I love watching Deshaun Watson play football, but I'm worried that he's going to get mm. killed playing for the Texans. He got sacked six times today and hit 10 in the game, and that's become the norm. Is that an offensive line that has enough talent to improve and start protecting him, or is this going to be a season-long issue? Mm. It's, it's going
1: to be a work in progress. I mean, obviously they made a huge trade for um for uh I don't his name is yeah. Larry Larry Tonson. Tonson. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't guarantee that immediately he's gonna be able to come in there and perform at a level that a comfortable, you know, consistent guy in that offense would be able to do. Now time is not a luxury that they have, but that's the only thing that's gonna help this unit. And you know, if they're not careful, Andrew Luck will be calling up Deshaun Watson on line one. Hey, dude, <laughs> this, is, this is going to go on for a while. You might want to start thinking about some things. You know what I'm saying? Either get to where there's a good offensive line or start, you know, saving your chips because your career is, your, your career is going to end early. I mean, if you think about it, that's what Jim Merced was saying about Andrew Luck all along. If we get guys to protect this guy, this dude is a, a franchise difference-making quarterback that can take us to the Super Bowl, and they're right. Same thing with Deshaun Watson. He's got time. And we know with his dual threat abilities, the guy can, you know, can put a most defenses in a pickle. But if he doesn't have time to throw, if they're consistently in his face when we'll he's getting a snap, and you gotta run around trying to make things happen outside the pockets where the most dangerous effects happen. And they continue to do those things and not find a way to protect him consistently, they won't have him for very long.
0: Last line of questioning with Brad Hopkins, you can hear on Serious NFL radio, former tackle for the Oilers and Titans made the Pro Bowl a couple of times. I I'm amazed at the level of success and productivity that young starting quarterbacks are able to have? like In in your era, you're a rookie, you're sitting for a year or two, and then when you play, you're struggling for a year or two or three the majority of the time. Clearly there were exceptions. What do you think the biggest factors are that are leading to guys being so productive so early?
1: Because of the level of expectation put on these young guys, especially draft picks that are taken high in the draft, they're expected to see the field sooner. And how do you put them on the field sooner? Make sure that they're ready to go by putting them in situations that they're familiar with. You know, so I think that when you take a guy high in a draft, you understand that his system, first of all, fits most of what you have, and you cater the system and the learning curve to what he's able to absorb. You know, so if you've got a running quarterback, then you best have a running-style offense. Your RPO better be a part of what you do on a regular basis to put him in familiar situations so he doesn't have to think as much. You know what I mean? Those days of, this is the offense we run, we'll take the best player available and hope he fits. Nah, it doesn't work that way. Because we've seen tons of guys that get drafted into different systems that they know nothing about. And it's just too much difficult, you know, um, things for them to understand to be able to be consistent and be effective like like they want to be and like they're usually are. You know, so now it's like these coordinators and head coaches and whatnot—they see what the guy's abilities are, and they try and find this style that makes him feel comfortable. You know, do some of the things that he working on his strengths. Of course, obviously, you have to work on your weaknesses, but you know, but pretty much predicating what you do to this the skill set that this guy brings to the table. Therefore, as a young player, that transition doesn't seem to be as hard. Replicating the speed of the game is almost impossible, but at least you can put him in some familiar situations to where. You know, the things that he's doing on the football field at an earlier age don't seem as foreign to him, and he can make his adjustments.
0: Brad Hopkins here on Serious NFL Radio. I appreciate the time, man. I enjoyed it.
1: Anytime, Dan. Talk to you soon, buddy.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.